right, if you could find your way to a seat. So, so thankful you are all here this morning. Had the pleasure of meeting a few new folks on the way in this morning. Uh, as Josh has already said, we welcome you. I hope you feel strengthened and encouraged already. Before I share with you, uh, in light of a theme we've been looking at here in the church of late, I wanted to let you, let everyone that's here know this morning that next Sunday we're going to be starting a new series called How Does Your Garden Grow? <laughs> probably, probably most of you have heard the nursery rhyme, Mary, Mary. And cherry, how does your garden grow? Okay, now just to be clear, just uh, yeah, cockle shells, all that stuff. I, I actually looked, I actually looked it up this week to see what in the world that rhyme meant. Nobody knows. Okay, so uh, it, it's as simple as that. Nobody knows what it means. So uh, I'll just save you the the time of searching. Uh, so, anyways, uh, has nothing to do with Mary Mary. Quite contrary. Um, but there's this metaphor throughout the Bible about our lives being like a garden. And, and we have a role and a part in what that garden looks like or what it is we're going to grow with our lives. So uh, I really want to encourage you. I want to invite you. I know sometimes uh, folks come at Easter and then, you know, come again at Easter again next year. And I just want to say you are welcome here, and we're excited about what God talks to us about from week to week. So uh, please come and hear about God's plan, his good plan for the garden of our lives. Uh, so anyways, the last six weeks, this is week seven, we have been engaged here uh, as a church talking about this idea of redemption. We've been looking at various stories or accounts in Scripture of how God redeemed uh, some very yucky situations and, and made, like the subtitle says, the worst stories can have best endings. And when we look at that in Scripture, we think to ourselves, well, you know, if God did it then, he can do it now. Like he can take, like, I know all of us in here have a story and some of our stories have some not so good parts to them. And I, again, I just want to say that, that God has a plan. God has a plan, and he's a God of redemption, and he wants to redeem our lives in such a way that maybe oh, some of the badder things that have happened to us in life isn't how our story ends. And so I want to talk to you about some more about that today, and, and um, I want to take you back to week number one, when we started talking about this, I told you that if it weren't for redemption stories, there wouldn't be certain channels on our te televisions. The Hallmark Channel wouldn't be there because literally every story that is there is about some kind of redemption moment in someone's lives, right? I mean, I, I, most of the time, I, 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 there's maybe an exception to that, but most of the time it's you know, so-and-so, somebody lost a spouse or somebody lost something and, 
you know, they go through an unstable time in their lives and then Mr. or Mrs. Wright comes along and, and voila, and you know, there's a, there's a redemption, right? There's like, woo, yay! And we all go on and love the rest of our day, you know, because it was a happy ending. And, uh, and what you find about redemption stories is that they all have this pattern to them, this way of, of them going, right? And so most redemption stories, the stories start out that life is good. You know, everything's going along, it's all good. And then something, the second stage in a redemption story is something adverse takes place. Something bad happens, right? And, the, and I've talked to you about the arc of redemption, and it kind of looks like this. And, 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 you know, people are going along, life is good. Then some kind of adversity strikes, you know, and, and, and it causes for this downhill thing to start. And then usually there is this sense that there's no hope that things are going to get any better, right? There's the bottom of the arc in redemption. And then amazingly, as things go along, something out of the ordinary happens that causes for this dramatic change in situations and circumstances and we we have them a lot of times people's lives are actually as good as or better than before they ever encountered the adversity so that's kind of how the story of redemption unfolds and we've looked at over the last six weeks we've looked at some different accounts in scripture where people had that very thing take place in their life we looked at jacob in the old testament and how how his situation you know went from okay or life is good kind of thing to not not good at all and and god used that to to, to accomplish something. I've said to you all along the way, God does not want to waste anything we go through. There is something that God wants to use in that to, uh, to cause us to, to, to go, move forward in some way. So we look at Jacob's life and we found out, we saw how he redeemed his situation and he took his little fledgling family of 70 and they found themselves in slavery in Egypt and somehow God used that yucky situation to turn them into a great nation, which he had promised. They went in at 70 and came out hundreds of thousands of people uh, many years later. And, and so we talked about that. We looked at Joseph's life and how, how he was subjected to an abusive situation by his brothers and and, and somehow it didn't look good. I mean, he, he, they, they put him in the bottom of a well, and when they changed their minds about that, they decided to sell him to some gypsies who were going through the area, and he ended up in Egypt, and, you know, it just it was a, a really yucky situation. But God was continually taking that situation, and, and he was kind of like that, that, you know, that, game at the fair where the thing keeps popping back up and keeps getting whacked back down and it keeps getting popped up you know joseph kept bobbing back up again by god's grace and help and god kept and he used that situation uh to to not only redeem bring redemption in joseph's life but he used that situation to actually proactively and, and ahead of time create a scenario where joseph's whole family uh, and situation could be redeemed. So 
we looked at that story. We looked at Ruth and Naomi and, and how losing uh, both of their husbands, God just so happened to work things together so that they ended up in the end having their story better off. Uh, we, looked at, we looked at Jonah. Most of you here today probably know the story of Jonah where God had asked Jonah to go to a particular group of people and Jonah came, kind of gave God the finger, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And ran the other way away from God. And, and God said, I can, I can work with that. And he gave, him three, he gave him three nights in Moby Dick Airbnb, right? <laughs> said, I, 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 can, I can work with that. I'll just... I'll just... Um, I'll just put them, put them in timeout. We're going to put them in timeout. And, and he'll, he'll figure it out, right? And he did. Jo- Jonah figured it out. He figured out that it's better to do what God wants me to do than it is to live in the belly of a fish. Like, I should probably do that. And, and, and the story of Jonah is not only did God redeem Jonah's heart, life, situation, but he also used Jonah to go to the very people who hated God and caused for their whole lives and culture to turn around in favor of God. So, you know, I, I tell you all these stories as others we looked at for the sake of time, I won't mention them right now, but for, for all of these stories, they are by design meant to point our attention to the greatest redemption story that has ever taken place, and that is the redemption of Jesus Christ. That, this, what we are celebrating today is by far the greatest comeback, the greatest redemption a moment that has ever taken place in all of history. Now, um, just a few months ago, back in December, we were all here, it was, it was snowing out, it was cold. In fact, we weren't all here on Christmas Eve because we had a nasty go of it there for a few days. And, and, uh, but just back a few months ago, we were being reminded of when Christ first came, right? Christmas, the coming of Christ. And, and when you read about that in the Scriptures, you find out that, that while there was some cultural unrest going on, the actual, his actual coming, the angels t- told them that it was good news of great joy and peace for all people. So his coming was a life is good moment, right? It was re- relatively uh, a good thing that Jesus Christ showed up on planet Earth. But if you know how the story goes, it doesn't take long. In fact, he's, he's just a little toddler still. And there are people looking to take him out, right? Remember the story about Herod and, and the wise men and all that stuff? And, and the, you know, the wise men show up and they're like, you know, where was, and they're, where's, where's this all happening at? And, and Herod checks with some people and they say, well, we think it was in Bethlehem and blah, blah, blah. And, and uh, you know, he's, Herod secretly tries to take Jesus out. So right, right, even as a toddler, he's having to look over his shoulder, Right? There's adversity at every, at every turn. And then Jesus grows up and he starts his public earthly ministry and we only have to get to chapter 5 and, 
John's Gospel. It's about a year into his ministry. And we read this, that in that moment, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him, right? How would you like that to be your kind of your life, right? Like starting from a toddler and people are looking to hate you and to find a way to take you out. And then just last Friday, um, we remembered that all of that culminated, all of that hatred, all of that bitterness, all of that hostility got poured out by taking a cross, a wooden, uh, a wooden tree, if you will, and nailing Jesus to it. Um, and when that happened, when that un, uncensored abuse took place, it led to the death and then subsequently the burial of Jesus. And if I were, if I were grafting his, his story, I would say, okay, he came and, you know, it's, it's good, it's a peace, joy, all that kind of stuff, right? And then, and then he faced numerous uh, things that were adverse in his life. But I, would, I think we can all agree that the bottom of his redemption story it was last Friday, and, and he, was, he was found, uh, they found a place to place his body after the crucifixion. If I, there's a, there were two people right after all that took place that they're called the two on the road to Emmaus that kind of typify the mood of the moment. We read about what they said. This is what they said right after the crucifixion. They said, we had hoped... We had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. It's kind of that point in the story where it seemed like the lights had gotten turned out, right? Like there's no hope as we move forward. But like those other redemption stories we look at, this one is no different. There is this little two-word phrase that keeps showing up. Let me remind you, it showed up in Joseph's story a few weeks ago. And this is what we read in Acts chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. It says, because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, they said to him, uh, they, they sold him as a slave to Egypt. And then this little two-word phrase, but God. Can you say that with me? But God. But God, right? But God. But God was with him and rescued him from all his troubles. Uh, Joseph himself actually gave testimony about this in Genesis 50, verse 20. And I'm looking for your help here this morning. Uh, this is what Joseph said. You intended to harm me, but God intended for it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. But God, but God. About this greatest redemption story ever told, listen, listen, to, how, listen to how some uh, Paul and Peter talk about it. This is Paul writing in Acts, or talking in Acts 13. This is what he says. He says, when they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. D-E-D, -E dead. God raised him from the dead. Listen to how Peter talked about it. He said this in Acts 3.15. He said, you killed the author of life, 
But God raised him from the dead. But God. It is a familiar refrain refrain throughout Scripture. Two little words that signal to us that our God is a God of redemption. He knows how to take to take yucky, broken, a seemingly impossible odd situation and to make them have a good ending. You know, we got to give them the pieces, but he is able to do it. Now, I said to the folks in the earlier service, if I were, if I, it looks like nobody's taking notes this morning, that's perfectly fine. I, I'm, not, I'm not hurt by that at all, uh, that you don't care. But anyways... <laughs> I'm used to it. I'm totally used to it. So anyways, if I were to ask you to write one thing down this morning, this is what I would ask you to write down. Throughout sacred history, meaning meaning as, as history moves forward and God is overseeing that, throughout sacred history, it can be seen that for every advancement of the kingdom of God, it is preceded by a setback. I'm going to say that again. Throughout sacred history, it can be seen. You can open your Bible and look at how God moves throughout Scripture. And for every time, whenever He is about to do something significant, right prior to that, there is a setback. Something happens that looks to be exceedingly adverse. Okay? You can see it. It's, it's there. It's right there in the Bible. Now, here's the catch. When God, the, uh, let me say it this way, the way we see setbacks and the way God sees sex, setbacks are two different things. Example, when the disciples looked at the cross, they saw everything shutting down. It's over, Rover. So it's all falling apart. They saw everything shutting down. When God looked at the cross, He saw everything opening up. When the disciples looked at the cross, they saw the end of everything. When God looked at the cross, He saw a new beginning. When the disciples looked at the cross, they saw a massive setback. When God looked at the cross, He saw a massive setup. One last one. When the disciples looked at the cross, all they could see was a tomb. When God looked at the cross, all He could see was a womb. I want to explain that to you this morning. At the Last Supper, which was the supper just prior to Christ's crucifixion, as the, you know, as the things unfolded there on Thursday, he had his disciples come together. They were observing the Jewish Passover meal. 
Uh, but it became, it became, in that moment, it became known as the Last Supper, the Last Supper he would have before his crucifixion with his disciples. And in that moment, there was a lot of, there was a, uh, a host of things that t- transpired on that occasion. There was a foot washing service. Jesus, uh, the one who should be having his feet, feet washed, was actually, he donned a towel and began to wash his disciples' feet, served them, loved them in a way that was unheard of. I mentioned last week when talking about Peter, some other things that happened. Jesus took those those elements of the Passover meal, the bread particularly, and the juice, the wine, to redirect their attention towards it meaning something different than what they had previously known. As he's trying to instruct them about such things, I said last week that a dispute broke out among the uh, disciples there concerning uh, arguing about which one of them is the greatest. But in the midst of all that, and as Jesus is trying to let them know that something is about to happen that is going to rock them to the core, it's going it's to be a shaking of all shakings. And as he's trying to let them in on this, as he's trying to prepare them for this, he uses a metaphor. Now, metaphors are are taking something uh, ordinary of life and using that to enable people to have a better understanding or a better meaning of something. So in this moment, at the Last Supper, Knowing full, Jesus, knowing full well what is about to transpire, Jesus borrows a metaphor of giving birth to a child. And he talks to his disciples. This is what he says. Let me read it to you. He says this. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. Ladies, as far as I know, Jesus never had a baby, but I think he knows what he's talking about. When, when you guys are about ready to give birth to a child, pain starts. We got it right? Jesus got it right. He's borrowing this metaphor of giving birth to a child, to talk about what they're about to experience. Let me read to you again. He says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because her joy of that baby because the joy of her joy that a baby, her baby, is born into the world. Ladies? <laughs> Didn't sound like all of you. Uh, I, I, I know it's been some time now, and, and you, you're wondering if you have a change of heart about that whole thing. But anyways. <laughs> Listen. Jesus is trying to alert his followers that things are about to get messy. You know, uh, when Jody and I 
uh, knew that we were going to be, she was going to be having a baby. We, they had these classes back then. You remember the classes? Uh, maybe they still have them. Yeah, I think they call them Lamaze classes, right? And they would, you know, they would have the guys and the girls come to these things, right? And it was all, it was all in preparation for what you were going to go through in that moment, right? Like, uh, you know, well, I think they had them on tables and they were trying to replicate the moment. Well, how many of you know you can't? There are noises and sounds and you just that you, that can only be made in the moment, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? I remember being there with Jody and 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 and, and it ended up being Heidi, but there we are in that room, and the doctor says, uh, you know, hi, how are you? Blah blah blah, and you know, you go through all that stuff, and and he says, you know, here you can stand right here, whatever, and she's. There in front of me, and uh, you know it was getting loud and loud and and whatnot, <clears throat> and uh, and and he said at, at one point at one point when it was all ready to happen, he said you may. He looked at me and he said you may want to not watch this, and I'm like, okay. And before before I could process that that sentence, like you know. Okay, watch what, you know, that whole thing. <laughs> I'm sorry, sweet, I heard I have to mention this. <laughs> the doctor did a procedure that I did not see coming, all right? And I'm like, you know, <laughs> what? What just happened? I had nobody talked about. I don't remember. I missed that class, right? It's like, what just happened? Right? Jesus is trying to alert those who knew him that things are going to get messy. And he's trying to help them realize that, that he's telling them, I'm about to go into labor. I'm about to go through a process, and it's going to be difficult for you, and it's going to be hard for you not to get distracted and bombarded by the anguish, the sorrow, the contractions, and the pushing. Because, listen, listen, when you look at the cross, you are looking at Jesus in labor. You are hearing the cries of someone who is giving birth to something. When you look at the cross, you are seeing Jesus go through the labor pains. When you look at the resurrection, you're seeing a new baby that has been born. Now, that's not like, 
Now, somebody may ask, well, you know, why was, why, was there, why was his labor so intense? Because he was giving birth to a really, 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 really big baby. And somebody may ask right now, well, what in the world? You know, I, and listen, I know with all that's going on right out there right now, I do not believe men can literally give birth to a baby, okay? I, so please don't leave here today. Well, Pastor Jeff said Jesus gave birth to a baby. I'm talking metaphorically. Jesus was talking metaphorically. Let's just clear that up right now, okay? All right? He's talking about what he's going through is like a woman giving birth to a child. And when we look at the cross and we see the anguish and the agony and the torture, that was his labor pains. That was him in process of giving birth to something. Now, you may be here this morning and you're saying, what was he giving birth to? He was giving birth to our salvation. That was, that's a really, really big baby, I'm telling you right now. That is a big subject. That is a big, big, big issue. Now, when, we talk, when I say the phrase, our salvation, people refer to that in a variety of ways. Even in Scripture, it's talked about in, 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 in numerous, from numerous angles and directions and whatnot. But one of the ways that Jesus talked about it is he said, he said when talking with Nicodemus, he referred to it, our salvation, he referred to it as being born again. Right? There's that birth, that whole birth metaphor thing uh, in play again. Please don't take this the wrong way. But I just want to make sure everybody understands this. What Jesus was doing on the cross and subsequently the resurrection, which, which, by the way, you cannot separate those two things. We came here on Friday night and we tried our best to remember uh, all that Jesus did for us, but we could not get out of here without at least mentioning the resurrection because the two things uh, go together. They're, they're inseparable, right? What Jesus was doing in that process was opening up the birth canal so that you and I could be born again. That you and I would be able to come into a new and living relationship with our Father who made us. That we would be able to know and experience the Father's embrace in our lives. Let me explain. Probably one of the most famous teachings of Jesus is recorded for us in Luke chapter 15. Most of you or all of you in here today at one time or another have heard this teaching. It gets labeled or, or titled the story of the prodigal or lost son. How many of you have heard that before? 
Let me make you familiar once again with the story. A father has two sons. And on one occasion, the youngest son comes to his father and says, I'd like you to give me the money that you will give to me, you, you would have given to me after you're gone. I'd like to, you to give me my inheritance now. Now, I don't know, I think Jesus is, again, telling this story as a metaphor for us to better explain how to, how to enter into a relationship with God, but... You know, if I, if I was the guy writing the story, I would have said, you ain't getting it. Right? But somehow as the story goes, the father gives this younger son the wealth that he was due at his departure. The son then takes that wealth, those monies, and it, as the story goes, he takes it and goes a long ways away from where the father lived and lived a, a party life, right? He, he got down and got her done, right? Until such a time when all of it was gone. You've heard the story. The son, having no more resources, finds himself, uh, you know, he was, he was working a dirty job before dirty jobs was popular on TV, right? He finds himself doing things he ordinarily would have never done just to try to put some food in his belly. And as he's in the midst of this moment, he starts to, he starts to wonder. He starts to think, I, here I am living, living like an animal when I could be living back home with my father. Living like an animal, living at home with my father. And it uses a phrase there that I love. It's one of my favorite phrases in all of Scripture. It says that this young son came to his senses. He had, a, he had an aha moment. Aha, I see it. He came to the conclusion that it would be better off even if he went home and had to, had to live like a servant in his father's house. That would be better than the way it is for him right now. So, as the story goes, he begins to make his way back home. And even while it says he's off some distance from the father's house. The father notices him coming up the road. And the son, in his mind, had played up the scene of this moment. And he's thinking about how much he's going to have to grovel, how much he's going to have to apologize, how much he's going to have to say, I'm so sorry, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you, just to try to get back in his father's good graces. But what happens next shocks everybody. Even those listening to Jesus tells the story. Instead of the son groveling, the father sees him coming off in the distance and runs to meet the son. It's this next thing that happens that I want to draw your attention to next. The father brings the son back into the home 
and says to everybody involved, all the servants, the, old, the, the, the older brother, everybody there, listen, we're going to have a party. And here's why. That son of mine that was dead is now alive. He was lost, but now he's found. Now, when I just told you that story, did I mention anything about the son dying? I never mentioned to you that the son died. You know why? Because he literally did not die. But in the father's heart, the son was as good as dead. There was no meaningful relationship with it. They weren't texting each other. There was no emailing going on. There was no moment on Facebook. There was nothing. So their relationship was as good as dead. Did you know that that's how the Bible talks about our relationship with God outside of Christ. It's dead. Uh, if you don't believe me, listen to how Paul talked about it. He said in Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 13, it says, You were once dead because of your failures and your uncircumcised corrupt nature. But God... But God made you alive with Christ when He forgave all your failures. Like the story of the son who left his father and was dead to him, uh, you and I, outside of Jesus Christ, find ourselves not in a life-giving relationship with our Father. Listen to how Paul says it in Ephesians 2. He says, Even when we were dead and doomed in our many sins, He united us into the very life of Christ and saved us by His wonderful grace. He raised us up with Christ, the exalted one. Here's what I want to say to us this morning. Christ's resurrection, listen, Christ's resurrection paved the way for our resurrection. His redemption story is our redemption story. I'm going to invite Pastor Scott and the worship team to make their way back to the platform this morning. And let me just say a few other things as we go along here. When Christ was laboring on the cross, He was doing the hard labor so that you and I could find redemption. To make a way for our life to have a good ending. To take the yucky of our life and, and, and turn things in such a way that it can have, have a good ending. His, but, but, so, but so some people think, some people think, well, you know, if Jesus died for people, all people then it's this universal thing that just mysteriously happens for everyone. 
They call that universalism. Like Christ's death and burial and resurrection is applicable to everyone, whether you choose to believe or not. And I, I just want to say, for the record this morning, I don't believe that. And here's why. Because in order for that son who had left home, who had left his father's embrace to go off and do his own thing, in order for him to find himself back in the father's embrace, he had to choose to go home. He had to say, I, I'm going to make a course correction here. I'm going to do, I'm going to do something so that there's a hope of my story having a different ending. People all over, uh, all over, I'll say the United States today, are celebrating Easter. Churches are having Easter services. But if all that is about is just something that happened 2,000 years ago, and we're being reminded that this guy came back to life who died on a cross, it has no power. It has no meaning. The only moment it has power and, and purpose and meaning in our lives is, is when I come to the discovery that Christ's resurrection is my resurrection. His redemption story is my redemption story. It's a but God moment. It's when I see my life in such a way that without Him, things fall apart. His redemption story has application for me personally when I, like that lost son, choose to come home. To come home to my father's embrace. When I come to my senses, humble myself, acknowledging that I have not hit the mark. Only then do I go from being dead to alive. When I put myself in that place. When we do when we do that, Christ's resurrection story becomes our redemption story. And on this Easter Sunday, we are reminded once again that Jesus is not dead, but alive forevermore. But that truth only has meaningful impact in my life when I embrace His resurrection as my resurrection. I want you to take these next few moments Pastor Scott came to me a, a few days ago and he said, hey, uh, I wrote a song. And it's about what we've been talking about in church, about God being able to redeem things in people. And he said, I finished it up. I think it's going to work. I, I, I haven't practiced it with anyone else besides myself, but I'm going to try to get with the team and make that happen. I checked in with him this morning. He said, yeah, we're good to go. I want you to just take these next few moments and listen intently to the words of this song because it, 
it summarizes so well this notion or idea of redemption and particularly Christ's redemption being my redemption. So please, listen up for just a moment. I'll be back in a second.
not over, Lord, till you say it's over. Lord, for those who have come today and they're, they're excited about the, uh, the great things that you're doing in their lives and through them, Lord, I pray that they'll walk away from today and just, just have a fresh thank you in their soul, a fresh appreciation for the labor that you went through and the, the ability that you provided for us to be born again, Lord. Lord, we thank you. We appreciate all the heavy lifting and hard work that we in and of ourselves could not do, but you were able to accomplish. We give you praise. We give you thanks. And Lord, I, I just want to pray for anybody that may be here today 
that for whatever reason has never never really gotten home yet you know, maybe they've maybe there's some here today who you've tried to get home you thought maybe you were part way there and something in your heart still tells you you're not where you need to be with God I just want to say to you this morning your father's door is wide open and I can promise you I can promise you he's not going to greet you with anger he will welcome you home with loving arms he will he will throw a party for you So I would invite you today to, to rethink and, or maybe for the first time to consider. It's a change of venue, a change of direction. And that you would say, you know, it's time for me to go home. It's time for me to find my true father. And Lord, I, I pray, I pray this morning for folks that may be here and they're carrying situations with them where it seems like there's no hope, no hope for somebody maritally, no hope for somebody relationally, no hope for somebody physically. Lord, it's not over till you say it's over. And we believe in that little phrase, but God. And I pray that you would write that on their hearts this morning. That it wouldn't be just simply a couple words in the Bible. It would become their mantra. But God. You are able. Nothing. We're, one of the things we're celebrating today is absolutely nothing is impossible with you. You bring the dead back to life. So Father, I pray that as we leave this place that, that Jesus' story of redemption that His story would be our story. This is my story. This is my song. Because He is for making it possible for us to be born anew. Thank you for giving birth to this really, 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 really big baby you call the church. And finally, Lord, I just want to pray as we go from this place, what other activities that we have in front of us today on this resurrection day, Lord? I pray a big Holy Spirit blessing over every family represented, every person represented here, every life that's here today, I pray for a big heavenly blessing on each and every person, Lord. And I pray as we go about our day that we will that we that will just be thanks bubbling up with inside of us for all that you've done. <laughs>
to make it possible for us to know you. Go with us from this place, I pray, in Jesus' name.